First and Second Peter. Uh, and as you're turning there, let's just pray one more time and ask the Lord just to speak to us and guide us as we open up our hearts to hear what He has to say to us. Father, we do open our hearts. Let, may the Word make a big difference in our life. Lord, change us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You know, last Wednesday night we began this series. Interesting to me, and I always pray that, you know, the goal, how many of you know the goal of, of Bible study is not just head knowledge, but transformation and change in our life. You know, the Word of God should bring transformation, healing, help, wholeness into our life. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And last Wednesday night when we began this series, I, I actually have had two people uh, uh, make a point to come to me and tell me how the Word of God made a huge difference in their life. I know Talisa back there said, man, that it lit me up and just really spoke to me, especially in, in the in light of the challenges she's facing. And then Patsy tonight shared some things with me about how last uh, uh, Wednesday night made a huge difference in, in her life as well and put her on course. Her words were, uh, I got set free Wednesday night. And so, man, that's powerful. We didn't even have a Holy Ghost line. Uh, we just let the Word of God make a difference. Amen. Uh, hey, Ryan, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Uh, with that in mind, let's jump in. Uh, and here we go, A Pilgrim's Progress. I gave you a theme last Wednesday, and, and the more I think about it, the more I think at least through First Peter, uh, this theme certainly ap ap applies, especially in the sense of our, our title, A Pilgrim's Progress. Here it is, progressing through this life into that life in the face of adversity and pressure. How many of you know progress in the face of adversity and pressure can be a challenge? And you know, it's not for the weak at heart. And if you're weak at heart, this message is for you. This, these, this, uh, uh, series is for you because God is looking to us, regardless of the circumstances, to keep moving forward into the destiny of God for our life. I love what Paul said. Uh, 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 somebody help me. Philippians three, I think. I, I forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And then he says, I press towards the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Everybody say press. And so, so there's pressure in life. There's adversity in life. Let me just say, uh, everybody here is adults. Uh, anybody here made it this far without any pressure or adversity? Man, if you did, I'm going, I, I want you to lay hands on me. Uh, but uh, in fact, as we'll learn tonight, uh, that all has a purpose as well. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, uh, let's read through 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, and then I'm going to review a little bit, and then we'll jump in to another level of uh, what it takes to progress through this life into that life. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, everybody say pilgrims. The pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. A grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Everybody say a little while. I like that part. For a little while, if need be. Everybody say if need be. In other words, this may or may not be the case, but in this case with these folks, it need be. Uh, he said, even, uh, he said, in this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice uh, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul, of souls of this I'll go ahead and read this of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come 
to you. And everybody said, amen. Now, when I look at this series, and I realize I got 12 weeks, and I've got two books here, and I, and last week I only, <coughs> I really only hit two verses. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to start uh, consolidating a little bit if I'm going to get through this in 12 weeks. But hey, even if it takes longer, hey, how many of you want the whole counsel of God? Amen. And so with that in mind, a quick review. If you, anybody here wasn't here last Wednesday night? Who wasn't here? Okay, had a few. Well, it, I'm not doing that to embarrass you, but I want to know if I needed to kind of bring you into the loop. Uh, the theme kind of tells a lot, but he called them pilgrims. Everybody say pilgrims. That is temporary residence. And so here we find Peter, and this is kind of, uh, just kind of bring us all into the loop. He's writing to these, these Jewish believers who went from the, the, the peak to the pit in a sense. They went from Pentecost to persecution. Uh, man, that, that doesn't sound like charismatic Christianity to me, does it? It doesn't, it, it, it sounds like pressure. It sounds like troubling. They undoubtedly had been traumatized by experiencing this supernatural outpouring of God, the presence of God in their life, the miracles of God, the church is growing, things are phenomenal. Man, everybody's excited. They're actually still thinking that the kingdom is coming on uh, in this earth now, uh, you know, in, 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 in a natural sense rather than a spiritual sense. And then persecution arises and they are scattered. They lost things. They lost futures. They lost property. They, they were scattered. They were temporary. And here comes Peter into the process and he says, pilgrims. Everybody say pilgrims. Now that says a whole lot right there because, and it's only used in one other place. The writer of Hebrews uses this word to define us. Peter uses it twice. He fact in second Peter uh, chapter two, he says, um, Oh, I'm, oh, verse 11, but, but beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust. What was he using this word for? He was trying to let them know that, Hey, even though you're going through uh, problems, it's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. In fact, this life is not all there is. Uh, you're moving through this life into that life. And so he calls them pilgrims. And so our kind of big idea, uh, Oh, pardon me. Our big idea from last Wednesday is this. Spiritual progress requires or normally requires, I think does require, a mental and moral shift from the temporal to the eternal. And that's what he's trying to get across to them. In fact, man, he jumps right into this and he starts talking about your inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. He says, pilgrim, it's only temporary and you need to understand this is not where you're, this is not your arrival. You're not at, you're, you're not where you're ending up. You're on a journey. Everybody say you're on a journey. And where, where are we on this journey to? Well, our journey in this life is ultimately to that life. A place, an, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So uh, that's kind of where we were last Wednesday night to kind of build you in this mindset that our theme is, you know, what it's going to take for us to get from that, to move and progress through this life into that life. Just think about pressure and tr- pr- trouble and, 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 and pain and sorrow and testings and trials. If, if there was no finish line, how many of you know that would throw you for a loop for sure? But what happens a lot of times when we go through these problems, we begin to think that, well, I guess this is all there is. And Peter comes along and says, listen, this is not all there is. This is only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. Tell two or three people it's only temporary. It really is. So with that in mind, let's shift to another level. Uh, once he gets that idea across, I'm going to pick up in verse, oh, verse three, uh, and we're going to see, and we're going to talk about the next thing he thinks is a priority. Uh, in fact, P- Peter immediately takes them back to the starting blocks. He gets them back to the beginning of their spiritual journey to reveal to them the cornerstone of their faith. And that is, my friend, the resurrection. Everyone say the resurrection. Look what he says in verse, that says verse two, but it's really verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does he do? He brings these persecuted Christians, the, these pilgrims who, who were going through pressure and trouble and trial, the testings of fire, if you will. And he said, listen, what you need to embrace first and foremost is the benefit and the, and the, and the inside and the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because how many of you know, without the resurrection, uh, scripture says we're among all men most miserable. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in fact, gosh, turn over there. This may be out of sync with my PowerPoint notes, but let me show you this just for a second. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in fact, uh, you remember the first few verses are about the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. And what is the gospel? It says this in verse uh, uh, 3, For I delivered you first of all that which I also read, that uh, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, that's the gospel. How many of you know we wouldn't have much of a gospel if the, th- if the third part didn't happen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because that, that validates victory. You know, thank God for the blood of Jesus. That's certainly a priority. But the resurrection validated the authority of God over sin, Satan, sickness, and, and all the rest. Are you with me? Amen. So here's what he does. He brings, Peter brings those, these wayfaring Christians, these sojourners, these Jewish believers who, who had, had, uh, evidently gotten uh, kind of lost in this world through all of that and, and needed some encouragement, he brings them to the starting blocks of our Christian faith. And he says, listen, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you remember? Now, though I don't know this for sure, uh, you know, uh, how many of you know Peter was there when Jesus rose from the dead? We're going to look at his... Uh, interaction with the resurrected Christ in a bit, but undoubtedly some of these scattered believers were there and alive and in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, uh, what does it say? Somebody help me. I'm just kind of running through the hip. Is it in John? It says he showed himself to over four or five hundred people, not only the disciples, but uh, showed himself alive. So, hey, Potentially, many of these believers that Peter's writing these let this letter to had experienced the bona fide resurrected Christ and had witnessed that. And 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 you would think no one would get distracted once that happened, but undoubtedly they needed to be brought back to the real reality, brought them back to their starting blocks, and said, "Hey, listen, you remember when we were all hiding, when we were all thinking we're we're sunk and this thing's over, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead and transformed, and and then the church was birthed. He's bringing them back to the resurrection. Listen, if we're going to progress through life, we've got to build our life on the gospel of Jesus Christ." And the resurrection. In fact, uh, did you go to First Corinthians? I went and then I got distracted. Uh, let, let me go back there. Uh, I want you. I want to read you a couple of verses uh, from later on. He says this in chapter fifteen, uh, verse seventeen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. In other words, what are you believing in? There's, it's no value. You are still in your sins. Oh, now, that's interesting because <clears throat> he paid for our sins with his blood, but his resurrection give us the capacity to walk in newness of life. And so it's the whole package. He said, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, the, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 20 but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Everybody say, he's, he, he is risen. Say, He is risen indeed. And so this is what Peter brings to these believers. He brings them back to the forefront 
of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the crux of our faith and, and the finality of our faith, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He did rise from the dead. What Paul say? If Christ isn't risen, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. He had to rise from the dead for our salvation to be complete. Now, uh, so we've got to, we've got to embrace this in life. Listen. Regardless of what you're going through, if you build your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was victorious over death, hell, and the grave in my behalf and gave me the capacity, as we'll see in a few moments, to walk in newness of life and to be quickened by that same spirit that rose, that rose, that caused Christ to be raised from the dead, that'll move us forward in life regardless of the adversities we face. Amen. He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? So, uh, with that in mind, let's look at Peter for just a moment. Matthew 16, you don't, we don't need to turn there. But you remember, we talked about Peter. He had issues. You remember, he got the right question, who do men say that I am? Some say you're this, some say that. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, uh, and so, ding, 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 he got that right. And you remember last week we talked about uh, uh, Jesus changed his name, a transformation. He went from Simon, which means really a reed tossed by the wind, to a rock. You remember that? And then you remember in that same chapter, the rock rebukes Jesus because he starts talking about dying and being buried and rising from the dead. So we see Peter's beginning, even though he's walked with Jesus uh, a span of time here uh, in Matthew 16, he doesn't get it. When Jesus starts talking about dying and being uh, and buried and rising from the dead, he rebukes the Lord, and that's where Jesus called him the devil. He said, get behind me, Satan. And then we see in John 20, turn to John 20. John 20, the resurrected Christ, Starts now. What did Peter do? By the way, we talked about it uh, when when Jesus was being beaten and whipped. What did he do? He denied the Lord, right? And then when when he was busted, do you remember Sunday? He went out and did what? He wept bitterly. And so Jesus rises from the dead. And what does he begin to do? Uh, uh, I'm in Acts 20. I need to go to John 20. <laughs> I got my glasses, I got my, I'm trying to get all this stuff together, it's hard to do all this. In John 20, the resurrected Christ begins to reveal himself. In fact, if you're in John 20, you know, who was it? Peter, one of the first disciples to run to the tomb. You get it? You remember? The, the, the ladies were there, and then they come back and they tell, uh, they tell Peter, and they, and he and another disciple, which I happen to believe is John, uh, even though he doesn't talk about himself, verse four, they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Now, if it was John, which I happen to believe it is, John was faster runner than Peter. That is irrelevant to anything. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> you just never know. Uh, there's always one in the crowd. And they came to the tomb and they saw his clothes and you know the story. Uh, but, and then, uh, later on, Mary begins, she sees the resurrected Lord. And then in verse 19, uh, we see he even beginning to show himself to the disciples. Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the door was shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, how many of you know Peter and the, the other disciples are beginning to have some resurrection revelation? They're beginning to experience the resurrected Christ. Then it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad <laughs> when they saw the Lord. <laughs> to me, that's hilarious because, man, how many of you know they had been traumatized? And they, you know, I can just see them. This is Pastor Sam's divine imagination. You know, they're all huddled up. They're all going, okay. Now, you know, Peter said, I, I went and he was gone. And they're all, the ladies said they saw him. This is just my divine imagination. And then he just, all of a sudden, there he is. And they all go, whoo, he really did rise from the dead. They began to embrace the resurrected Christ. 
And then John 21. This is interesting. Follow with me. Now, this is such a huge restoration passage, and I don't have time to go into it at depth, but, uh, you know, Peter's back at the fishing boat, and they're fishing. You know, Peter's still, he's still wounded from his mistakes, undoubtedly. He's experienced, they're glad, hey, he did rise from the the dead, but they're kind of wondering, what now? You know, what's going on? And so he walks back into their life. Of course, I skipped the, the, the issue with Thomas just for the sake of time. But chapter 21 is about Jesus restoring Peter, the resurrected Christ, and kind of the, the icing on the cake of his transformation, if you will, or his, his reclamation of God's purpose for his life. And you know how in verse 15, uh, Jesus interacted, well, first of all, uh, uh, he invited them to shore. They came and ate and they, you know, he told them to cast their nets on one side. The other side, they caught fish. They came to, and they came and ate together. In fact, Peter jumps out of the boat and, and run and, and swims to the shore. He said, it is the Lord. Uh, and then they have their time together. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's a broken man by this time. How many of you know you, you got to be broke? busted and disgusted in order to be blessed. That was Sunday. If you weren't here Sunday, you might better get the tape because that won't make very much spiritual sense unless you get the tape. It's a play on words. And then finally, in verse 18, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what did he say to him? Everybody say it. Follow me. Now, if we had time, we'd go back to Luke 5, where Peter first meets the Lord. What does Jesus do? Gets in his boat. In fact, there's another net breaking boat sinking low. That's the first one where they'd fished all night and caught nothing. And he said, launch out your net. How many of you know, uh, Peter probably liked it when Jesus would show up. Business got a lot better. So Peter had witnessed this in his beginning of his walk with God. But what was the last words, Jesus, that the first words Jesus really spoke to him? He said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so now we see the resurrected Christ, his personal ministry to Peter, brings him back to the starting blocks. Just like Peter's trying to bring back these wayfaring, sojourning, persecuted believers back to the starting blocks of the resurrected Christ. Man, he's, he went and saw the empty tomb, and then Jesus shows up. They're all glad. Whoo, he rose from the dead. And then, then they're, they're kind of still in limbo and the resurrected Christ walks by the shore. It is the Lord. And there's the story. And Jesus finishes off his ministry of restoration just by saying, I'm going to take you right back where we started. Follow me. If you follow me, you'll progress. If you'll follow the resurrected Christ, You'll move forward in this life, even in the face of adversity. And we know, according to history, Peter suffered adversity uh, in his life and at the conclusion of his life. So, wow, uh, just a great insight about how the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith and how we've got to build our life and we've got to have a resurrection revelation. Uh, and so when we do, things begin to change. When you embrace the gospel, when you embrace the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, what did, what did Romans say? What did Paul say in Romans chapter 10? What it took to be saved? He said this, uh, uh, it says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God did what? Raise him from the dead, we shall be saved. Not just believe in our heart that he died on the cross, but that he rose again. How many of you know that's the core foundation of our faith? 
If Christ isn't risen, we're still in our sins. OMG, that ain't good. But Christ did rise from the dead according to the Scriptures. Amen? And so, with that in mind, let me give you five things that I see in these eight or nine verses that begin to, that, that resurrection revelation begins to release in our life. Okay? Are you with me? The first one is this. I love it. Total restoration. Everyone say total restoration. Now, look at verse 2 and 3. Now, we looked at verse 2 a little bit uh, from one angle. And let's look at it at verse 2 and 3. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, (coughs) pardon me, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I made mention of this last week. Look at our salvation. What's involved in our salvation? All three of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Man, all three working together for partial restoration? No, total restoration. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's what the resurrection has provided for us. A, a rest, uh, resurrection. Resurrection has promised and provided us a restoration into right fellowship with God. And that's where verse three comes along. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everyone say a living hope. I'm telling you, these two verses reveal that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ has birthed us into a a living hope. Uh, And then he defines it uh, as the inheritance in eternity with Christ. And so uh, Peter, who embraced, we went through his life briefly, he's a great illustration of how resurrection brought restoration in his life. When you look at Peter, he was restored personally. How many of you know, he was busted and broken. And he was disgusted. He went out and wept bitterly. But what did the resurrected Christ do? He came and began to restore him personally. And I can just, hey, I'm just telling you uh, from, from that John 21 passage, though I don't have time to go through it in detail, Man, the next thing, what is, what's the next thing we see uh, Peter doing? They, they, Acts 1, they spend 40 days with the resurrected Christ. Acts 2, he's preaching Pentecost. I'm telling you, the guy got, he got healed. <laughs> hey, listen, the resurrection, the revelation of the resurrection in our life and, and all that's happened, that life, that living hope, a hope that is alive, not only for this day. Well, what did what did Paul say? If in this life we only have hope, we're among all men most miserable. Peter comes along and says, man, our hope is not in this life. It's in that life. But, and how can we do that? Because of the resurrection. Uh, he was restored relationally. You know, I just read between the lines. He, he, he runs to the tomb and he sees. Then he experiences the resurrected Christ, but no personal interaction that you, that you can see. But then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, zeroes in on his life in chapter 21. And I'm telling you what Jesus was telling Peter that day, I get it. Peter was humbled. And we'll read later where he writes, and we talked about it Sunday, maybe even last Wednesday, What did he write? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. And so Peter was humiliated. He went out and wept bitterly. But in John 21, he's just humble. He says, man, I don't know if I love you the way I need to love you to do what you were calling me to do. Feed my sheep. Hey, I'm. you're saying, here's where I need to be. I'm telling you, here's where I'm at. He's honest. Now, where was he before the resurrection, before the crucifixion? He's up here trying to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> now he's down here. He said, I just don't know. He said, okay. And, and this is my read between the lines. Jesus said, okay, I can use this attitude. I couldn't use the get behind me, Satan. But I can use this. And I'm telling you, there was a restoration because of the resurrected Christ moving into his life. He was restored personally, relationally, and ministerially. 
He was back in the game. It's not a game. He's back in the race. He's back full time. Everybody say full time. Man, he's on his road. How did that happen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. The resurrected Christ. So the resurrection revelation, it releases total restoration. Number two, I love this and we've already said it, but let me just hit it. It releases a confidence of eternal destination. We have a destiny. It's not in the middle of our, it's not our persecution in this life. It's eternity with Christ. That's what three and four says. He begot us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's a reservation. Everybody say a reservation. Now, we're going to read a verse here in a little bit and I'll explain it. But let me tell you something. Uh, he, we have, what's he saying? You've got a reservation. In other words, there's, hey, it's already there. Some people think, well, I got to work my way and then if I get before God, I hope I, I, I did enough good things for him to accept me. Listen, that's not how it works. Uh, we're, we're not saved by our works. We could go and look at all that, but hey, he's saying, listen, you have, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have a reservation. You have an eternal destination. It's reserved in heaven for you. Uh, and and uh, in fact, it's our inheritance. How many of you appreciate inheritance? It's not monies and stuff. It's eternity with Christ. It's an inheritance. He said to an inheritance incorruptible. I love what, I love what Paul, he's a good, he's a good cross reference. Uh, and I don't know, I'm trying not to, ooh, uh, ooh, let me just, let me try. Let's go to Ephesians quickly, just very quickly. Let me show you. Josh has been listening to last week. He wasn't able to be here. He's listening to last week. He said, somebody went long. <laughs> I said, I was excited. Plus it's Bible study night, Amen. Look what, look what uh, uh, Paul says concerning our inheritance in Ephesians 1, verse 14. Uh, let's look at verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being lightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now watch this. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Everyone say inheritance. He's praying for them that they would know what they have in Christ. Now catch this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he did what? raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. We'll stop there. What did Paul say? Same thing Peter's saying right here. He said, listen, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you have an eternal inheritance. Because of what he's done for you on Calvary's cross, the price he paid for you, and he begot us again to a living hope. Everyone say living hope. Now, that living hope, oh, it says a lot, but put yourself back in the context of these folks. Some of them probably lost hope. Man, they'd gone from man, great hope, the Holy Ghost, churches exploding. They're giving out money and resources and people are all working together to being persecuted and dispersed. And so I, he's he's... Not only speaking of our hope of eternity, but I believe in the context, he's speaking to the hopelessness of their temporary, of what they didn't realize was their temporary circumstances. He said, listen, you're born again, uh, by the resurrection, or you're, 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 uh, birthed into kingdom because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to, from the dead to a living hope. A confident, here's my definition because this is kind of what the word means. A confident expectation of good for your future. Now, listen carefully. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ will provide for all of us. There should never be a reason for God's believers to never not have hope in this life for that life. 
We should never be people who, who seem to lost hope. And, well, I, I, I hope it worked. You know, knock on wood, rock, paper, scissors. Listen, he's getting them to the place where they realize, listen, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, hey, you should, you're, you've begotten us again to a living hope. Don't look at your circumstances. Look into eternity. And oh, by the way, it's incorruptible and undefiled and won't fade away. How many of you know they'd experienced some things that had faded away? That some things that, that they, they had experienced this life crumbling in their fingers. But he said, this hope doesn't fade away. And he's not just defining eternity that is incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away. He's drawn a comparison to their temporary circumstances. Listen, this life you've experienced, I get it. But we're just pilgrims. It's only temporary. Eternity with Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, provides us an eternal destination. Somebody say amen. And then look at verse 6. I love this part. We'll go back to verse 5 in a minute. In this you greatly rejoice. We'll talk about that in a minute. He said that's where you need to keep your mindset. It's about eternity and what Christ has provided for us in eternity. We ought to rejoice that we're on our way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas tonight. Amen? Look, in ver- look, look over in a kind of a cross-reference, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He comes back to this a little bit. Look what he says. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as some strange thing happened to you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, everybody say rejoice. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You know what, that's a, it's not really a cloaked reference, uh, because in their mind, they knew Jesus was coming back. That's what, hey, you get, you get through these books and you'll realize Jesus is coming back. Everybody say Jesus is coming back. They knew he's coming back. It's only, everybody say it's only temporary. He says, listen, this, this, this suffering, you just need to rejoice that you've been chosen to suffer with Christ. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Amen. It's powerful. And so we have an eternity with Christ. Romans 8, 18. If you're taking notes, you can look at that later. Uh, then the third thing I want you to see about this revelation of what the resurrection revelation releases in our life, not only a total restoration and an eternal destination, but how much, how about a powerful preservation? That says protection, same thing, powerful protection and preservation. Look in verse five. What does he say back in chapter one? He says, after he says, we've got this reservation in heaven. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, he's pointing them to eternity once again. He said, but here, you need to understand this. In the middle of your temporary circumstances, guess what? There's a supernatural power that's going to keep you. That word kept means guarded and protected Power, that word, that's dunamis, that's Holy Spirit power. They remember that word from Acts 1.18. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll receive dunamis power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he saying right here? Listen, you need to get back. Hey, don't set the Holy Ghost aside in all of this. That Holy Spirit will keep you, guard you, protect you, and that power. He's pointing them back to that Pentecostal power that they they so wonderfully and joyously experienced. He said, listen, that's the keeping power of God. Trust it. It says, it's, oh, I'm getting excited. I better calm down. I'm all worked up here. Whew. He says, that uh, <laughs> who are kept by the power of God through what? Faith. He said, listen, you gotta trust the Holy Ghost. You gotta trust the keeping power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. We went to, I started to go to Romans 8, 18, but look in Romans 8, 11. I'll, I'm, I'll move along, but I'll, you've gotta see this. Romans 8, 11, you've probably heard me, you've probably read it. It says this, but if the Spirit of Him, 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead, there's the core of our faith, will also give life to your mortal bodies. I love what King James says, it'll quicken your mortal bodies. It'll give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What's Paul trying to do here with, with the Romans? Hey, you gotta, you got to get it, embrace the keeping power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, oh, where is it? Uh, uh, all these scriptures come blowing through my... I think it's in Ephesians where it says the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest of our our promised inheritance. That's where it was in Ephesians 1 uh, that I probably could have read more of. Uh, but yeah, the Holy Spirit's the down payment. He's the keeper. And so there, there, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead released. Uh, hey, and it's even in chronological order. They said, you know, what did the resurrected Christ tell them? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So resurrection, it release, released and releases in our life powerful preservation and protection by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so regardless of these temporary circumstances, you and I need to embrace the, the, the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and embrace all that's a, there's a powerful protection for those who walk under the banner and the wisdom and the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, verse four, uh, number four, this one is where we would like to skip over. But the resurrection revelation also releases grievous, but ultimately glorious confirmation. Look in verse seven and eight. Oh, verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Everybody say grieved. Anybody ever been grieved? He said, you've been grieved, that is distressed. You've been grieved by various trials. And here it is, that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and what? Somebody say glory. He said, listen, in this process, well, you need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has put you on a journey. And in this journey, from this life to that life, it is a test. Everybody say, there will be a test. In fact, interesting to me, James, the only other letter that was written, that as far as I can, I may be speaking out of turn, written specifically to persecuted, scattered Christians. What's the first thing James says? Count it all joy, brother, when you fall into different temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the first words out of his mouth to those persecuted Christians that he was writing to who had been scattered. And here we see Peter kind of doing the same thing. I don't know, uh, I forget... If I was a smarter theologian, I could remember if Peter wrote his first, I think he's next. James is the first, I think. James wrote James before Peter wrote Peter, I think. So maybe Peter had read James' letter. I don't know if that would be the case, but he's certainly in line. How many of you know the Holy Spirit speaking to those persecuted believers? There's a powerful preservation, but then there's a grievous but ultimately glorious uh, confirmation. And that's what the testing's all about, confirming our faith. And it says, verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. Now, here's how, here's how we pass the test. You want to know how we pass the test? This next verse. Whom having not seen, you love. You just love. Doesn't matter. Hey, I love him. I love the Lord. I can take you to the place where I, even as a Christian, I realized Jesus loved me. I was sitting in church one evening and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Jesus, just heard the voice of God speak to me and say, you know I love you. Now I knew it here. Man, it dropped down in here. He said, having not seen, you love. Man, you know, He loved us before we could ever love Him. You want to pass the test, just stay in love with Jesus. 
Everything else will be secondary. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet what? Believe. Believe him. Keep, keep the faith. Everybody say, keep the faith. You pass the test, you got to love without hypocrisy. You got to just keep, keep the faith, keep believing. And then it says, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'll talk about that in a minute, but number three, receive. Well, I'll talk about it right now. Hey, this, some people read this like, oh, did he mean that we got to, we got to pass this test. So when we get to the end of our life, uh, that that's when we are saved. No, not true. This word receive here really means carry. It's not like when you get to the end, you receive salvation. He's really talking about the ultimate end of days when we stand before him and the inheritance is realized. Whoo! I got the joy, joy, joy in my soul. How many of you know when you get there, if we had time, we go to Revelation. He said, man, there's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more sickness. There's no more pain. Glory to God. I walk into my inheritance. Amen. Carry it. You just, hey, you got to keep carrying this thing. You got to carry it. You don't pass the test. You just got to pass the test of love and faith and just don't quit. I keep carrying this thing. And then finally, oh, I love this one. Resurrection revelation releases joyous exaltation. Now, Most of us wouldn't write this letter this way. Most of us... Now, I, Beverly's a merciful person. I'm not merciful. She's got a merciful... You know, and her tendency when people are going through pain is to go, oh, bless your heart, let me hug you. I know it's tough. You know, hey, you need some money. Uh, you know, that's mercy. Just wanting to help. Peter comes to them and, and he... Here's... When you see it this way, he explodes on them. He doesn't go, he doesn't go, hey, pilgrims. And I, he doesn't outline their, their trouble. He doesn't massage their feet. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't send them a gift card to Starbucks. But he explodes on them with this verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. That's an explosion to me. I'm telling you, he, he gets to verse 3. I can't help it. Here it comes. Blessed be the God. And he's just giving God the glory for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How many of you know he's shaking them up a little bit? Getting them back to where the, to the, to the reality. Hey, in fact, how many of you know they got so excited on Pentecost? They were just, everybody saw the joy of the Lord. Man, you read Acts, man, the joy of God, the joy, joy, joy in my soul. How many of you know some of these people probably lost their joy? And he shows up with a joyous exaltation. And then verse six through eight, I want to read it again. In this you greatly rejoice. Everyone say greatly rejoice. Now he's referring to our inheritance in eternity. You greatly rejoice. Now, and then he goes down, oh, in verse, let me, well, I gotta read it all. That the genuineness of your faith, uh, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested in the fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revealing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Man, he's not, he's not massaging their feet right here. He's saying, listen, you get a hold of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you're going. You got, you got to get back to the, the power of the resurrected Christ in your life and, and re greatly rejoice and rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, I'm going to give you, this may not work on, on tape because it's a it's a bodily illustration of what he said right here. Those two words greatly rejoice. I don't know if I can do it. I'm kind of old. It means Yeah! Woo! Glory! Jump for joy! He shows up to these pathetic believers who lost it all. He said Whew, what you need to realize, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, bless God. Don't you remember? He, he showed himself to us. 
Don't you remember Pentecost? Or right before Pentecost? Don't you remember when he rose into the heavens and the angels had to show up and say, hey, why stand you gazing here into heaven? The same Jesus who left here, he's coming back in like manner. And, and don't you remember when we're all praying, the Holy Ghost comes on? Whoo! It's time we jump for joy. When's the last time you jumped for joy because you're going to heaven? That's what he said right there. Well, pastor, I'm just going to praise him in my heart. Let's think about the temporal things. Because he's trying to get their mind off the temporal thing. Let me just... Let me ask you what you would do if someone called you up and said, hey, we just, you just won $50 million. Come get your big check. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be happy in my heart. I'd be, whoo! There'd be some jumping going on. Some joyous jumping. Listen. He rose from the dead. You're not going to go to hell. (laughs) This is not all there is. This is only temporary. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. Let's stand together. My goodness gracious. And why? Because he rose from the dead. Amen. Father, we thank you today for the glorious revelation of your resurrection. Lord, we thank you that we're buried with you through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That we've been begotten again to a living hope, a confident expectation of good for our future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this momentary, grievous trial and tribulation, Lord, we're we're just going to rejoice knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance that's why even James had counted all joy we embrace that revelation tonight in Jesus name in Jesus name everybody said amen listen you know what we need to do this week we need to tell some people Jesus rose from the dead People are struggling. You know anybody struggling? You know anybody that's got the got their pathetic britches on? They just, man, life is, you know. Do you know anybody who's got the, I call it the, you know, the drag jaw? You know any believers who struggling in their life going, you know, woe is me? You need to, you need to explode on them with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Love somebody. I'll see you Sunday. Amen. Love you guys.